Acts chapter 11. If you're using the Pew Bible, that's page 1093. We'll be reading verses 19 through 30. Just recently, we finished studying the, the conversion of Cornelius and his household. Cornelius was not Hebrew. He was a Gentile. He was a Roman soldier. And Peter had to give an answer to... Why was he speaking or preaching to Gentiles? Of course, it was God's plan. Acts 11, verse 19, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit by the Spirit, that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. I want to focus our attention this morning on lessons from Barnabas, what we might learn from this man. Allow me to pray before we go further. Lord Jesus, we are thankful that you have given us your word and its truth that is here for us. It instructs us. It encourages us. It admonishes us. It causes, brings us correction, and it helps us to live faithfully. So as we look at the life of one who was full of the Spirit, may we see how he got that way. May we seek the practices that he participated in that we too might taste fully, completely of your Spirit. It is for the glory of our Lord and Savior we pray. Amen. The book of Acts is history. The book of Acts actually 
happened. All the events here came to pass. This is nothing made up. This is not myth. This is not fairy tale. These things happened. History is always interesting to study. We need to ask ourselves what is in it for us. One of the big things that always comes to my mind is when, when I read Acts is all of this Holy Spirit power. It's really quite amazing. And some, I know I have in the past, some kind of scratch their heads and wonder, why doesn't it happen today? It can happen, but not in the way you might expect it to happen. It's not going to happen the way the big events of the Holy Spirit happened in Acts at the day of Pentecost and in Cornelius' house. There are those today who call themselves, identify themselves as Pentecostal because they want to experience, and they try to experience that every Sunday morning, that Holy Spirit power, that fire from above. But we really have no idea. We have what Scripture tells us. We have no idea what it looked like. During that day, that Pentecostal day, recorded in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit fell and touched, as it were, according to Scripture, flames of fire on everyone's head. And as they spoke, everyone knew and understood one another's language. We need to see that. We need to understand that. God was bringing the people together to understand one truth. There was no confusion. There was no, may I say, delirium. But when you visit Pentecostal churches, you very often see confusion, great excitement. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, God is not the author of confusion. So we need to be very careful about what we understand Holy Spirit power to be. Holy Spirit power does happen. We don't always see it. Or we aren't always aware what's happening. Every time the word is properly preached and that gospel seed is planted, that's not someone making a choice or decision for the Lord. That is the Holy Spirit power creating new life. We use the word conversion. It's really resurrection. The Apostle Paul described the human soul as dead in trespasses and sin, but when the Holy Spirit comes, there is new life breathed in, new life created. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Paul is repeatedly specific about this. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. 
the word is properly preached and new life is breathed into a spiritually dead and dark soul. Every time the word is preached and that gospel seed is planted and it bears fruit, the power of the Holy Spirit is displayed. Every time the word is properly taught, there is correction in the heart and the life of the believer. Every time doctrine is preached, someone's believing soul is refined and equipped and strengthened. So every time something in your life, Christian, changes for the glory of God, that is Holy Spirit power at work. His power is displayed another way also. Holy Spirit power is displayed another way. In verse 21 of our text, the Bible says, The hand of the Lord was with was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. John MacArthur, in his commentary, makes a point of this, the hand of the Lord. He brings out that in the Old Testament, the hand of the Lord was described in two different ways, for God's wrath and judgment and God's blessing and provision. We saw the God's hand of judgment upon Egypt who held Israel in bondage and God very heavily pressed upon them his judgment again and again and again. But then we see the Lord's hand of blessing upon Israel as they prepare to enter the promised land. Joshua chapter 4 and Joshua spoke to the children of Israel, saying, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? And you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over the Jordan on dry land, for the Lord God tried the waters, dried up the waters of the Jordan before, before you until you had crossed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. So God's hands, of the power of God's hand comes in judgment, and the power of God's hand comes in blessing. Every time the word of the Lord is preached, and that gospel seed is planted, it bears fruit, you can know the Holy Spirit power is displayed. Every time the word is preached and the gospel is rejected, and the gospel is rejected, we need to examine what is happening. Because God's judgment is also at play. And that is the power of the Holy Spirit as well. A lot of Christians ask, why doesn't the Lord just save everybody? Quite frankly, God is not obligated to save anyone. Not even me or you. 
He owes us nothing. Everyone deserves his wrath. God allows evil in this world to remain in order that we might see how hard-hearted and stone-cold the lost soul truly is. It just seems unreasonable to me, and it might be unreasonable to you, to, to offer someone a free gift of eternal life and just be so bewildered why they... Nah, just, I just, no, that's not for me. Does it seem reasonable to you? That is evidence of the stone-cold, dead heart. God is displaying how rebellious the heart of man actually is. And I think we all know it. Because when we get to that place in our lives where we yielded to temptation again. We understand. There was a time when my heart would do that all the time without regret. Knowing it was wrong. Right? Romans 2, 4. Do you show contempt for the riches of kindness and tolerance and patience of the Lord, not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance? That's what the world is doing. And Paul continues in Romans 2. Because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God is displaying how rebellious the heart of man actually is. Were it not for the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart and in your life, you would be lost in awaiting his wrath. Everything that you are and everything that you do, every bit of fruit, spiritual fruit that you bear is of the Lord. That's why the Lord told his disciples the day before he died, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Holy Spirit power does happen. When the gospel is properly preached, when the truth is proclaimed, Holy Spirit power in God is at work, both for blessing and for judgment. You might ask, well, why don't I see it? We're going to try and find out in just a few minutes. That's introduction. Right now we get to talk about Barnabas. What can we learn from Barnabas? There are some points I would like to see. He was generous and committed. He was discerning, patient, and compassionate. He was faithful and spirit-filled. Those are the points we will see as we look into Scripture. 
Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. As we understand from previous lessons, Stephen, one of the first deacons, was a very effective evangelist, a very powerful preacher, and those who did not believe in Christ hated his message, and they stoned him to death. First martyr of the early Christian church. The people in Jerusalem at that time just scattered. They returned to their homes. They were from all over the known region. We explained, explained how that happened last week. Phoenicia was, if you're trying to look in your Bible map, you're not going to find a city of Phoenicia. Phoenicia was the coastal region along the northern border of, or the northern, northeastern side of Israel. It started at the city of Tyre and went all the way up into Syria, just north of Antioch. That whole area had several port cities. That whole area was well known for the shipping industry of the day. If you wanted to travel, a lot of people went there to find passage to all points west, to Cyprus, to Sardinia, to North Africa, to Alexandria, to Italy, to Greece, went through there. What a great doorway to send evangelists and missionaries out. Here's the gospel. Go find the boat. Make your way to all points west and spread the gospel. Verse 20. There were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas in Antioch. Excuse me, Barnabas to Antioch. What can we learn from Barnabas? We already know from previous passages that Barnabas was generous, and he was committed. If we look back at chapter 4 of Acts, Beginning at verse 36, this is what we find. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Here's a man that came to the apostles. Hi, my name is Joe. I, I, I like what you're doing here. I'd like to get involved. And so they welcome him. They make sure he understands what's going on. They make sure he understands the gospel. And he does. He's a believer. And as he gets to know the apostles, there's something remarkable about, remarkable about this man. Nothing wrong with the name Joseph. Joseph, one of the great patriarchs of Israel, 
saved the people from a famine as the second in command of all of Egypt. Joseph was also the name of the stepfather of Jesus. Nothing wrong with the name of Joseph. But as the apostles got to know them, this man's quite remarkable. He's so encouraging, so positive, so compassionate. I've got a great nickname. Let's call him Son of Encouragement. Barnabas. He was generous and he was committed to the church. He sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Here, this is, this is for the ministry. Let's, let's help the poor. Let's pay some debts. Let's, let's take care of the church. Generous and committed. How committed are you? Anybody got some extra property they're not using? You want to sell it? I'm saying that facetiously. I happen to personally know the headmaster of a Christian school just outside of Knoxville, Tennessee. And this is relatively new school. It's less than 20 years old. But their brand new campus has, it is better equipped than many universities. Speaking with the headmaster, who happens to be my stepson, speaking with him about the first day he came to interview for the job, he turned onto the campus, and there's this man in blue jeans and a work shirt out front with a trash bag picking up trash. He asked him, excuse me, could you please point me to the direction of the office? And the man said, oh, he gave him directions there. He went through the interview, and, and he was looking at the attendance of the school and their facility, and he wondered where the money was coming from. I mean, my stepson is smart enough to know that you've got to have so many kids paying this much money to get this kind of a campus. Is it, let me introduce you to someone, and they made a quick phone call, and this, here comes this guy coming down the hall, and it's the man that was out front picking up trash. They introduced him. That man happened to own the largest franchise of Taco Bell in the United States of America. And he had given the leasing fees of many of his restaurants to support this school. In fact, there was a brand new Taco Bell next door to the school. The people who owned the building were paying lease to the school. A QT truck stop was being built right across the road from the school. That lease money was going to the school, and right behind it, a quality in hotel was being built. That money would be going to the school. There was a Barnabas in his life. 
Now, I don't expect everybody to be that wealthy. But it's just a lesson to think about. Barnabas gave something that it was more than what he needed. So he gave it to the church. He was generous and he was committed. He was also discerning and patient and compassionate. If we look back in Acts chapter 9, this is talking about the soon after the conversion of Saul. Saul, who had persecuted the church, who had made his, had his Damascus Road experience, People were very cautious about him. The church was very frightened of him. They didn't know whether to trust him. He's being deceptive. He's going to expose everybody here. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how, the road, how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. In order to see someone like Saul, who had made some sort of profession of faith, miraculous as it was, Barnabas had to be discerning. Okay, Something happened on that road. It sounds kind of wonderful and fantastic. I was not there. But let me watch Saul. Let me hear him preach and teach. And does his confession match what he teaches? Barnabas had the discernment to see that there was true light in Saul's life. Saul, who later became Paul. That also takes patience. That also takes compassion. This son of encouragement was generous, he was committed, he was discerning, he was patient, and he was compassionate. Verse 23, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain Barnabas had come up to Antioch and had come to observe what was going on at the church there. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man. And here, the Bible says he was full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. A great many people were added to the Lord. full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. I know that I have prayed in my life, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. You may have prayed the same thing. Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. God's going to use us if we're faithful in the Lord, if we believe Him. He's going to use us from time to time. But to be quite honest, we don't always feel like we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We battle too much with distraction and temptation and, and depression and failure. And
But if Saul was generous and committed and discerning and patient and compassionate and faithful and spirit-filled, we need to see that all of that was the fruit of him being filled with the Holy Spirit. It was the source. It was the cause of him being filled with the Holy Spirit. We don't force ourselves to be that way, and then the Holy Spirit comes. The Holy Spirit fills us, and that's the result. There's something else. Not only was he generous and committed and discerning and patient and compassionate and faithful and spirit-filled, he was always seeking for ways to bear fruit. Always seeking for ways to bear fruit. Verse 25. Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people, and in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Because of some resistance to Saul's presence and even his message, Saul was taken back to his hometown of Tarsus for a while. And Barnabas said, it's time to go get Saul. The gospel is opening up to the Gentiles, and Saul has this burden to share it with the Gentiles. He has the ability. He is a Roman. He is educated. He can do this. So Barnabas was looking for a way to see the fruit of God's gospel expand. Holy Spirit power was at work. Holy Spirit power does happen even today, and you may still ask, well, why don't I see it? The wonderful appearance of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost was a fulfillment of God's promise. The Holy Spirit appearance to Cornelius was a fulfillment of God's promise. But there was something else we need to pay attention to. What were the people doing before the Holy Spirit came? This is the big key. This is the linchpin. What were the people doing? If we look in Acts 1.14, the Lord has ascended into heaven. The angels have told him, he's going to come again. Why are you standing here looking around? He's, he'll be back. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer. Not just the apostles, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer. What kind of man was Cornelius? You know, the Holy Spirit came to him and his household as well. Acts chapter 10, verse 2, a devout man, a man who feared God with all his household and gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. Something there is in common. Prayer. The church devoted themselves to prayer, prayer and were blessed by the Holy Spirit. Cornelius devoted himself to prayer, and God blessed him with salvation, redemption. Barnabas had to be a man of prayer. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he was used by the Holy Spirit. He had to be a man of prayer. 
Do you want to see Holy Spirit power? You need to pray. Do you want to see Holy Spirit power? You need to pray some more. You want to see some Holy Spirit power? You need to pray always. How do we know Barnabas prayed? I've been talking about the fruit of his life, the fruit of his, his, his spiritual fruit in his life. And it sounds very much like Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Christian, how do you get there? How do you get to the place of love, joy, peace, patience? The Bible says long-suffering. It's patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. How do you get there without prayer? Some of us get impatient driving around in traffic. After the resurrection of the ascension, the church really became a house of prayer. And that is what the Lord had told the people when he cleansed the temple with a whip and turning over the tables of the money changers. It is written, my house shall be a house of prayer. And his faithful disciples were praying. The day before Pentecost. Faithful disciples were praying on the day of Pentecost. And the Lord blessed them tremendously. Barnabas had to be a man of prayer. Generous, committed, discerning, patient, compassionate, faithful, and spirit-filled. We need to pray. One of the verses that my mother used to remind me of again and again when I was a youngster. And I really never got a grasp of it. I don't know how any young person would. Delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Well, how do you delight yourself in the Lord? Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. Well, that sounds good. He shall bring forth your righteousness as a light and your justice as the noonday. How do you delight yourself in the Lord? Well, it is kind of a disciplined thing. You nurture your own heart to desire him. You encourage your heart. To, you get into the word daily. You spend time praying. And I know that's Some Christians can't pray for five minutes alone without dozing off. But it's something we need to do. 
Horatio Bonar once wrote, in order to grow in grace, we must much be alone with him. It is not in society that the soul grows most vigorously. In one single hour, silent hour of prayer, the soul will often make more progress than in the days of company with others. It is in the desert that the dew is freshest and the air is the purest. We need to learn to pray. If we're going to be like Barnabas, if we're going to be spirit-filled, we need to learn to pray. And I know, I know you do, but... There's another thing I used to wonder about, reading about Daniel and how he was persecuted because of his prayers. They wanted to kill him because he was faithful in prayers. They made a law, don't pray anymore, and Daniel still prayed. They threw him to the lions. What did he pray for? Three times a day he would pray. What did he pray for? How do you find that much to pray for? Of course he prayed for Jerusalem. He had to grieve because Jerusalem was no more. Israel was no more. I'm sure by direction of the Holy Spirit, he prayed for the king of Babylon, this pagan, unbelieving king. He, he prayed even for him because he served the king. And the Bible says that if you pray for your leaders, even your earthly leaders, you do well. I'm sure he prayed and grieved over the sin of his time. We forget how violent and brutal war was back then. We forget about the immorality that existed back then. What about the church? We should pray for the church. The church is the holy city. The church is the new Jerusalem. We should pray for the church now. We should pray for the church that is not yet. We should pray for our president and for our governor and for all of our leaders. And in our prayers, we should also pray and grieve over the violence and immorality of the world around us. It's quite, really quite shocking and a little bit unnerving what's going on now. Did you hear? Have you seen the videos that have been going around on social media? The San, San Francisco Gay Men's Choir has a, published a song. They're singing, We're Coming for Your Children. This church needs prayer. The church needs, this world needs prayer. And if we are not willing to pray, the fruit of the Spirit is going to kind of turn into a dead sea within our own hearts. We're not going to bear fruit. Nothing will grow. Through prayer, we need to be seeking the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives for our church 
and for this community. No human being has ever had more profound understanding of divine sovereignty than Jesus. No man ever prayed more fiercely or more effectively. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful for your word and its truth, and we pray as we look together at what is before us in this study. May we hold ourselves accountable to its admonition, its instruction, its correction. May our lives, by the power of the Holy Spirit, bear fruit. Through the exercise of prayer, may we find your strength for our own discipline. May we share our grief for you, for this lost and dying world. May we find a compassion within our own souls for those who need the gospel. May we find boldness to share it, to teach it, to preach it, that the lost might be saved and come to Jesus. It is for his name we pray. Amen. As we continue.